0: Good evening, everyone. We're going to go ahead and open in prayer and get started so we can get you I, you all out into the duties and things that you have to do tonight. And let's just open in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this absolutely beautiful day you've given us, and we thank you, Lord, for opportunities of serving, of being ambassadors for Jesus Christ here with these campers. Lord, we thank you for opportunities of serving you besides serving them. You are... It is because of you, what you have done. And Lord, we just ask that tonight, again, your Holy Spirit would just speak to us and teach us. Lord, I know that there's probably some in here that are actually hungering for some word from you, from some message from your Spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would fulfill that. Lord, others maybe are just here because it's a requirement, I don't know, but again, we ask... And I ask that you would speak to them, that this is a time of, of worship, this is a form of worship as we open up your word, as we exalt you, as we draw closer to you. And Lord, we offer this up to you, this form of worship, and ask that it be pleasing to you and also, Lord, that you are glorified through it. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So our lesson tonight, this is lesson number seven as we continue our run through Nehemiah. And tonight we're again back in chapter 5, verses 1 through 12 we'll be looking at. But in this series called Putting Your Faith into Action, a study of making goals and attaining them. And so many things we can learn from Nehemiah. As I've said before, Nehemiah is a phenomenal book. It's got so many fascinating things that we can learn from. Uh, a lot of people say that, you know, it's an Old Testament book. You know, you can't get much out of the Old Testament. Au contraire. There are so many things that we can pull out of this book. This is a phenomenal book. And I know some of you have actually told me that you've been reading Nehemiah this summer. And I'll confess, I've been doing the same thing. I've gone through it. I don't know how many times I've gone through it this summer alone. This one and the book of Ezra, just reading those over and over and over. Um, getting more and more familiar with them. And as we've been talking about, too, in this series... We saw what Nehemiah has been doing, what God has given us in his word here, how Nehemiah set a goal and how he attained it. And in the contrast to this, we've been seeing also how Truman Robertson, the guy who founded the camp, his drawing of the picture right over there on the wall, um, and his wife Jan there also, but how Truman Robertson started this camp, the hardships he went through, the difficulties he went through, the battles he went through in attaining this goal. And we're getting close to the end. We started off with just Truman's dream uh, when he was still a pastor. Actually, we started back when he was still a youth is how the first lesson went, um, talking about how his life began and, and what his ambitions were in life and stuff. And um, then we have the, the Robertson family um, coming up here, and, and we see some different things and how they have Battled through this. I don't know if anybody has ever asked Tom or Ron some some things about the early days here, but it's a great thing to do. So let's take a look tonight at Nehemiah chapter five, verses one through twelve. Uh, we covered part of this last week, but this is a new part of it today that we're going to look at too. And this is on focusing on the goal. We're getting near the end, and that's what we are this summer. Also, we're getting very close to the end of summer camp. Um, believe it or not, there's just one week after this. And if you've thought the summer has been really long, let me tell you from experience: this last week flies. It literally just flies. So enjoy these last two weeks of camp that we have here. But Nehemiah chapter 5, and actually i want to start here at verse 14. Uh, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I didn't do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my At my table, 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox, six choice sheep, and birds, and every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet all of this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. This is a remarkable passage because it's talking about the personal sacrifice of coming to the end, of building the walls around Jerusalem. And now Nehemiah is giving us a little insight of what it has been like for him personally, what he has been doing to get this goal accomplished. As we said, the Robertsons came Um, Yes, this is an early picture of the Robertsons. Yes, you can laugh at Tom and Ron. They're not here tonight, so I used a really good picture of this. And yes, that... That is them, yes, that is, if you can't figure it out, Tom, I know if you're listening to this on broadcast, you can't see it, but I'm showing a very, very old family picture. Um, and I have Tom Robertson, our uh, current executive director, um, outgoing executive director there is on the right. Isn't that something? I can see people with their cell phones taking pictures of this. Blackmail, no doubt, will, will uh, come as a result. And plus, Ron is just a, a beauty there too, isn't he? He's um, quite, quite an interesting person. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the Robertsons. And I'm telling you, they went through, and as we've been saying, they've been through a lot of things. For one thing, Truman had brought Fort Wilderness into action. You recognize the building? The canteen. This is the original canteen building after it was built. Looks a little different today than back then. But Fort had come. It had arrived. Truman had been given money. He had borrowed off his own uh, insurance, uh, taking all of his savings out. He had been struggling and fighting to keep every little thing going here, and it requires a lot. Some of the original buildings, like a picture here, this is one of the original cabins. Um, that What they were, the benches or the bunks in there were three high. You can see the ladder. Um, some of you might remember when being a little kid, some of the cabins you came in looked like that. Um, Now that there's nothing like that (laughs) anywhere on the grounds. But this took a lot of work. It took a lot of patience. It took a lot of battling. And Satan was not happy through any of this. He kept trying to fight this place so much, trying to get this place uh, not to happen, that um, Truman would not succeed. Just like Nehemiah, that he would not succeed in doing this. Um, And then as time goes on, they started adding other programs to the camp. And one of the first ones that they added was, and I love the title of this, this is the official title of this program, it was called the Leadership Study Work Intern Program. Yeah, they might have come up with a better name for it, (laughs) but this was a program that was started a long time ago, and in this program, uh, it was a college age program, and people would come and they'd work here at camp, they would learn... From the Bible, Dan Hayden was uh, one of the primary people. He's been a speaker here many times over the years. Um, I consider him my mentor, and um, he was the one who did the Bible teaching. There was also a couple named uh, Roger and Gail Perry who wrote and produced musical dramas that the group would go around to churches performing. Um, They did all sorts of activities like that, but it was a very expensive program uh, to run, and so it sort of died out not long after it started. Then in 1975, a new program was added, and a guy by the name of Gary Wetzel, Gary's picture is on the extreme um, left there in a green sweatshirt, that's Gary Wetzel, um, he came on staff and headed this program up. It was called the Leadership Laboratory, it was a small group, uh, a discipling program. Designed to prepare the young people for Christian leadership. It is still going on over at Blair Lake. It is functioning even as we speak right now under Chad Rich. Um, but that's one of the early pictures there of, of a lab. Then in the 1980s, <clears throat> excuse me, Truman started another program over at Blair Lake called TP Village. This is an actual photograph of one of the TPs over there. Yes, there were TPs there. And over at Blair Lake, where today is the Venture Outpost, that was originally TP Village. And it ran for a few years. Um, And it was uh, run by a very interesting person who is still on staff here today, uh, Ron Robertson. And yes, that's his picture. (laughs) And Ron Robertson was the the leader of this program. And it ran for a few years until the early 90s when uh, they hired a new executive director. He's no longer here. Who shut it down um, very soon after coming on staff. Um, it was reopened later on, and um, in the early 2000s it was um, assigned to Becky Robertson at the time, her, Becky Carpenter today, and she ran the program and it was called Adventure Outpost and it is still running today over at Blair Lake also. So that was another program. <clears throat> also, <clears throat> excuse me, in the 1980s, another program Truman started here was called Work Study Program. It was instituted. And what this program did um, was to take college-age students and um, they would work here, they would learn Bible, but they basically helped camp to run. This eventually, in the 1980s, uh, ran and kept going, and but it changed, it evolved into a program called In Pursuit. Um, many people ran through that. Um, many of you are shaking your head, you remember people from In Pursuit. Um, one of my daughters, Heather, went through that, and her husband, Tom, and eventually it evolved into another program which is running today called True North. Um, but that actually, that program began back in the 1980s. Um, so there's been a lot of things that have happened here. Truman got started and got these things going and still running, and uh, no doubt, as We've now reached our 60th year here at Fort Wilderness. There might be another program or two coming along. There have been other things added. The marine biology trip, yours truly does that one. Fort has now done um, an Israel trip. Um, Very likely we'll be doing another one of those. There was another trip that they used to do. Um, It was a Grand Canyon trip, and they haven't done that in years. But there have been a lot of things, different ministries coming and going and things. So... With all these new camps and programming opening up at Fort, new people needed to come on. The Robertsons couldn't do it all themselves. And so God brought other people in line to get these programs up. And sometimes some of these people were pulled from um, full-time staff. Other times specific people were hired to do these things to get some of these programs running. So additional people used whether they were here or not. But those who were here in particular, those who were full-time staff and were put in charge of a program found something a little different because those who were hired moved into this authoritative role. And when you ro- get put into an authoritative role, that opens up new challenges and new hardships. I mean, everybody likes to talk about promotion and stuff like this and being, you know, getting advancement. But I'm going to tell you, and I'm speaking also from experience here. One of the hardest positions in setting up your goal, uh, putting your dreams into action and stuff like that, is the job of leading. Being promoted is not always the greatest thing. Being uh, put into advancement and putting in charge of people is not always the best thing for you. Um, and leading a group of people, particularly in ministry or whatever your goal is, um, it's not always the easiest thing to do. And like I say, I'm speaking from experience on this. I served as an elder at my church. I was elevated up to the, the level of elder back in Illinois. And when I was at, um, in school teaching in a public school, I was put as the uh, um, department head. I had things like this. And, and I can tell you, it's not always a lot of fun getting promoted. Oh, everybody wants to get promoted, it seems like, but it's not always the greatest thing for you. And I'm going to tell you that's, that's true. I know everybody, we always think of them, we're always saying, boy, you know, you got to get promoted. Boy, I, I've met with wor- many teachers over the years. I've worked with many teachers. They wanted to work in a school for just a couple of years because their ambition was to be a principal of the school and they wanted to lead. And I can tell you from experience, too, that some of these people were lousy teachers and they made even worse principals. Um, that's one of the problems a lot of times associated in in education, is instead of taking really talented people who have gifts for this, um, and can handle a promotion, they get put into a position and they're not able to handle it, and it gets even worse. So, it might come new to you, but I'm telling you, promotion is not always a great, desirable thing. Um... I know that's probably, a lot of you might be disagreeing with me on this, but um, I have a lot of background and experience to, to, to say that remark. Um, you see, also, as you're fulfilling your goal, once you've established your goal and you're trying to get your dream done, as you work, and if you're working with a godly um, attitude and as being an ambassador for Christ, whether it's in, in public ministry or in um, you know, Christian service, no matter what it is, um, if you are working, as I have told you before, you're really working for God in everything you do, and you're ambassador of Jesus Christ. You're supposed to be uh, being a mirror of him to everybody. People notice this, particularly Christians. We should be the best people at jobs. We should be the ones that everybody should be looking at and saying, wow, that is an awesome worker. I've probably said this story before and I will say it again because it is so imperative to make this point. I was listening on the radio where two um, people were talking on a Christian radio. One was a bank executive and one was uh, a CEO, actually, and another one was a CEO of an insurance company and they were talking about hiring people. And both these guys, Christian men, both of them, and they both said the last people we ever want to hire are Christians. Which shocked me as I'm listening to this, because when they were, uh, were asked, well, why would you hire Christians? Christians should be the best. And they said, precisely. But what ends up happening, they're the worst. They expect grace in everything. They come to work late. They take the longest lunch hours. They take the longest breaks. They're the ones you can't trust. We do not like hiring Christians. And that just made me sick to hear that. Because we should be, as ambassadors of Christ, we should be the the exemplary. We should be the model of everything. And if you are like that, if you do work with the Christian work ethic and a, a Christian worldview, you get noticed. And they put you in charge of things. They will do that. Nehemiah was like that. Daniel was like that. There's so many examples in the Bible of people like this that work for the Lord instead of working for their boss. And as this happens, advancement many times will come your way. If you are working for God in everything you do, I'm not just talking about Christian service here at Ford. I'm talking about school. What type of a student are you at school? Are you an exemplary student? Because you should be if you say that you're a Christian. You know, our witness isn't what we say as much as what we do and how we act. How is your Christian witness? Because you're witnessing all the time. As being a Christian, if you identify yourself as a Christian on campus, you are witnessing every single minute of your life because they're always looking at you and you should be showing them Jesus. If you're not, I actually will tell you a true story. I had a student one year when I was teaching school, always walked around talking about her Christian experience and always about how... Uh, close she was with God and how she acted and and everything. Uh, Oh, boy, I just love Jesus, and Jesus is my, my greatest thing. Well, she was a lousy student. She cheated quite a few times. I don't know how many times I caught her cheating on tests and other things. Finally, one day, I just pulled her aside after class. I said, I want to see you after class. And this is what I told her. I said, I know that you go around telling everybody that you're a Christian and stuff like that. I'm going to beg you, please stop doing it. Why? Because you're a terrible witness. You don't act anything like Christ acts. So please, don't walk around telling everybody you're a Christian when you're acting like a liar, which you are, and you're you're cheating, you're a thief, you're everything. I said, you're everything that Christ doesn't want. And the thing is, you tell everybody that you're acting like Christ. I said, stop doing that. Got in a lot of trouble with her mom. But I think my point was made, it was very important to say that to her because she needed a wake-up call. Sometimes it's sad, but... Some people just don't act like they're, they're walking with God. And if you're walking around labeling Christian as yourself, I mean, carrying a Bible and stuff like that, oh, wow, that's awesome. Look at you carrying a Bible. I could care less what you carry in your hands. What are you carrying in your heart? What are you carrying in your actions? Are you really showing Jesus in everything you do? If not, there's something wrong with your Christian witness. I'm not coming down on you. I'm trying to tell you, get your life right with God. That's part of this thing. You want to get advancement? Start acting like Christ acted. You don't go late to meetings. You don't take extra long lunch hours. You don't show up late for work. You're doing homework assignments. Do you do your best at them? Or do you do it just, well, I'm just going to get it done just to say I'm done? You ever hear of a guy named Johann Sebastian Bach? Do you know on every single piece of music he ever wrote, he always wrote that it was dedicated to God? He put it on every single piece of music he ever wrote. He was very proud of that. I'll make a challenge for you students. How about from now on this next year? How about writing this underneath where you write your name? I do this assignment or I take this test to glorify God. Now, if you take that challenge and you do that, you better make sure that you do it that way. You might even see your GPA go up. We should be the best. We should be the exemplary people in the workforce, in the school force. That's who we should be. Because one of the hardest things you're ever going to experience, I'm telling you, in life is if you get promoted. Because when you get promoted, the focus really gets turned up on you. People start looking at you a lot more carefully. You want advancement? You want to be in leading people? Fine, it's a great ambition. But boy, when you do this, you're going to have a lot more hardships and people are going to look at you carefully. Your Christian witness goes up tremendously when you get promoted. It goes up tremendously. I hope you're up to it because I'll tell you, there are problems with advancement. As I was sitting and studying this, I I thought about different types of advancement. And in a series I wrote on Nehemiah years ago, I just pulled this slide out. And I'm going to show you some different problems like, uh, that come with advancements. This is the first one. Problems with advancement, number one, it disturbs the natural balance of your life. When you get promoted, you get advanced into something, your life changes. It really does. Even if it's just going from being, like in my case, being an ordinary teacher to becoming the department head. Things really changed. Going from an uh, just being an ordinary, um, well, I was actually the youth coordinator at my church, and I did um, the praise team. I was on that. I was the, uh, the drama director at our church and stuff like this. And then they made me an elder. Boy, it changed my entire life. Do you know, to be an elder, I actually had to find myself every single day getting up an hour earlier. No one told me I had to do that, but that's what I felt God calling me to do. Because as an elder, I am now responsible for a group of people in my church and their spiritual growth. So I had to get up an hour earlier every single day just so I could pray for the 20 families that were on my, my shepherding list. It took a lot more work. You get advancement, that comes. And the thing is, I have to do that because who am I answering to? I'm not answering to the church. I'm, I'm answering to God. This will mess up the balance of your life. Your life changes when you get promoted. Second, it can cause an infection called pride. Pride. Satan's favorite sin, the one that he is so good at and he attacks us with so often, we get promoted, we start getting this pride issue. Like, well, I'm better than you. Look at me, I'm the boss now. Look at me, I am your leader in things. That is very scary. And that is something we have to very consciously, all of us Christians, we need to pray, Lord, don't let me get this infection. Please give me an antibiotic of the Holy Spirit to fight against this. A third thing that happens, it can lead to a feeling of independence. You get promoted. Oh, I don't need you people now. I'm in charge. I get to do it. I get to call the shots. And that's, that's a lot of the ambition. That's a lot of the, the taste, the desire of promotion, because now you get to call the shots on it. Well, that's not the thing. That, that's, a, that's a scary thing. That is not supposed to happen, that we get this feeling of independence. Like I can do it all now. I don't need somebody to help me with this. I won't take advice. It's scary that that really brings a person down. Another thing is it can tax you emotionally. Depending on what the promotion is, it can affect you emotionally with the way that you react with people. It's difficult sometimes. You got added pressures and stuff, added pressures because now you got more deadlines. You got people that sometimes are not the easiest people to work with, or they aren't getting along with each other, and it reflects upon you because now you're the leader of that. It can really tax you emotionally, it can tax you spiritually. Unless you're ready for it because of pride issues and other things hitting you, this can really drop you. This can really bring you down spiritually. Some people get promoted, and, well, I have more work to do, so I have less time to study my Bible and stuff, so my walk with God suffers. See, God doesn't want you to get promoted to do that. You get promoted, maybe you should spend more time in there, spending more time studying this book of Nehemiah, which is a great guide on leadership. Yeah. Study Proverbs and some of these other books and stuff of the Bible. And finally, it can lead to moral complications. Sometimes when you get promoted, we see this quite often in the work world, people's morals start to (laughs) drop. They start to get this air about them that they are better, and they deserve more. Like, well, I deserve this. I'm now, you know, a director, I'm now the person in charge here. I'm now an elder. I'm, I'm now the teacher. I'm now the principal. I'm now the superintendent. And so we start getting these ideas, and morally we start to become corrupt. Thank God he has given us a phenomenal guide And there are many books out there today on how to be a good leader, but I'm telling you the best one I've ever come across, and I have read many of these. The best book I have ever come across on how do you be a leader and how do you handle promotion and stuff is the book of Nehemiah. It is the best book I've ever come across on this. I've even heard some professional leadership programs and have attended some of these over the years, uh, workshops and things on leadership, and they go into the book of Nehemiah. It's one of the best books on this. And Nehemiah has tremendous lessons on leadership, on how do you lead to get your goal accomplished. There are so many phenomenal things that we come here. Now, what I'm going to show you now is just a few, about five things here that Nehemiah teaches us about being a leader, getting our goal accomplished, finding the very end of our goal and leading people to it. So let's take a look at these. The first one is, if God wants to promote you, you accept it. Nehemiah, remember, was a a cupbearer for for the king. And he was happy at that job, apparently. It was a great job, like the top of the thing that you would think his career-wise could go. And his brother comes, tells him about the the, the, uh, destruction of Jerusalem and how the walls are down, and he breaks down and cries, breaks his heart. God puts it upon his his heart to, to do something about it, and he does it which is the whole bulk of this story of how he goes and gets this whole thing accomplished. But he changed his whole thing. Did he go out looking for promotion? He becomes the governor. Did he go looking for it? No. God put it to him. So if God wants you promoted, he will promote you. If God wants it to happen to you, it will happen. What you don't want to do, what you must not do, is walk over other people to get promoted. That is not honoring God. That is not being an ambassador of Jesus Christ. We don't see that. He doesn't do that kind of thing. That's, that's contrary. That's, that's the work of Satan, doing that kind of stuff. You don't go walking over people, and I have seen people do that. I have seen people to get advancement have literally been so bad to other people, just trying, even bad-mouthing them and stuff. Man, it's almost sometimes, somewhat, some of the things I've seen, it's, it's almost like watching a general hospital episode or something. I mean, it's so goofy the way some people become so obsessed with promotion. If God wants you promoted, you're going to get promoted. Let his timing do it, not yours. That's so important. We see this with with Nehemiah. Um, But second, the second thing here. Nehemiah teaches us that privileges and benefits often come with promotion. Yeah, it does. It really does. We saw it with Nehemiah, and we see it in real life. He got promoted. He becomes governor. He was... He became the construction supervisor. He eventually becomes the governor of, of the province there and of the city. It's just amazing because he was a cupbearer. You know, what type of political ambition did he have? He didn't have any. He was in a great job. But God promoted him and put him into this thing. But just because you get promoted with accompanying privileges and benefits does not mean you have to utilize them and take advantage of them. If you get promoted, in other words, a lot of times when you get promoted, now you get certain benefits. For instance, I know a, um, I worked with one. I've worked with a lot of principals over the years, and there was one principal that um, it was really interesting. He didn't park in the best place in the whole school parking lot. He never took the closest door to his office. He would let other people take that. He parked way down in the back. I was department head over by the science wing, so at my school, I could pull up very close to that wing. The thing is, I didn't park in the first parking lot right there. Even though I was told, Michael, you can park over here in this section. Well, that was the best section to park. I parked a few rows back over on the side, and I kept the same parking lot, or uh, parking space, every year I was basically there. And the thing is, um, I, since I was the first one at school, I could easily get that one. And I was usually the first person there, so I never had a problem in getting my parking place, what I considered my parking place. But there's other things that happen. You get promoted, you get this to happen, you can have that, you can get this, you can get that. Just because it comes with a promotion does not give you a license to go ahead and use it. Nehemiah is a phenomenal example of this. For instance, look back at chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. He says, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, twelve years Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. Remember last week we were talking about there was a famine going on? And people were having a hard time even getting food, and they were even selling their children to try and find food and stuff? Nehemiah, being the governor, he could just order, you know, T bone steak every single time. He could have the best meal every single time. He could have the best wine every single time. And he didn't do that, he didn't take advantage of this position. This is a leader. And I challenge you, when you get, and many of you will be promoted many times, probably in your years, just because you get promoted does not mean to take advantage of it. One thing that happens, you often earn the respect of the people with you when you don't. And you earn their respect, and when you have the respect of people, in some cases, what I always thought, having the respect of my students was much better than a lot of times, even a lot of the pay. As you know, I was a teacher. Teachers generally don't get rich. I never went into education to get money. <laughs> I definitely didn't come to Four Wilderness to get money. <laughs> but I never looked at stuff like that. I was always more interested in the respect of the students that they had for me and what I could do for them. That's what I loved. Yeah, great example Nehemiah is to us on this. It continues. The former governor, who was before me, laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily portion, look at this, 40 shekels of silver. Even took money from the people when they had no money. Wow. Even the servants lorded it over the people, but I didn't do so because of the fear of the Lord. He didn't even demand the salary that came with the governorship. Nehemiah put that aside because what he did is he focused on the needs of the people, particularly as we saw last week, a famine is going on, people are hurting. He was not going to sit up in his nice little position in his cozy little palace or whatever, in his nice room with his good food and everything like that, and taking in the salary that he was allotted. He wouldn't do it. He just wouldn't do that type of thing. That is a remarkable leader. He did not abuse the privileges. What did he do? He sacrificed them to God. That is the mark of a leader. Sacrificing things to God. Third, if you get promoted, lead by example. So important. There's a difference between a leader and a boss. A boss basically just lords over people. Do this. You go do that. You do this. You do that. A leader is in the works with them and doing the things right alongside. There are some people I know, some full-time staff members here, that will never give their staff a job to do that they they themselves would not do first. It's not anything below them to get down and actually do the thing. And that's good leadership. A boss is someone who's, well, I don't want to get down and get my hands dirty here. Uh, I'm going to order you to do it. That is not the way to do it. It's tempting. Satan tempts us with that kind of thing, but that's not what we're supposed to do. Nehemiah didn't do that either. Nehemiah was active. He was visible with his employees. If you remember last week, it even said that he got down on the wall and actually helped work. He was doing the construction with them. How easy would it have been for Nehemiah to just walk around the top of the wall? Yeah, you put that rock in a good place. Um, You need to put this one a little bit closer over there. Uh, What are you taking a break for? Get back to work. You know, there's an enemy over there. Get back, you know... He wasn't doing that. If you remember last week, Nehemiah was there picking up the stones and he was doing the work also. He's working right alongside. I've worked with many teachers over the years that thought, wow, I am now a teacher. I get to sit at the big desk. I get to open up the things and I get to command students and they have to do whatever I want. Those are people who should never be allowed in a classroom. Some of the worst teachers, and I'll tell you, I have seen some beauts in my life. Holy cow. I have seen some absolutely unbelievable things taking place in the classroom that I wish that I had the power just to fire a person, but I didn't have that kind of authority. Nehemiah gives us an example of this again. He says in uh, 5.16, I also persevered in the work on this wall. He's working right alongside of him, And we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for work. Nehemiah is working right alongside these guys. You see, I'm going to give you an image here. And I hope you can remember, some of you have probably visual memories, and I hope you can sort of remember this image. The top picture, those of you who are listening to a recording, the top picture is showing a large block and some men pulling like a rope, pulling a large block on rollers, and there's a boss sitting at a desk up on top with his finger pointed out, basically like saying, you know, march, go, pull, work. That's a boss. A leader in the second picture, there's nobody sitting on the large block that's being moved, The block is on the rollers, like you see in the top picture. And instead of the three workers pulling this large block, you have a fourth. And the person in the front is the leader. And what he is doing, you can see with his finger pointing out, let's go. He includes himself in it. That's how you lead. That's how Jesus did things. Jesus came, the whole book of Mark is talking about how Jesus came to be a servant, how he came to serve. If Jesus, who is God, can come down here and serve man, how much more should we be doing that? We need to be serving and doing this like work. I want to point something out to you that a lot of times people would miss. If you just read your Bible as a novel, chances are you miss this. Because Nehemiah tells us specifically what his motivating factor was. What motivated him in in spite of his promotion? What was his motivating factor? Did you see what it was? It's in verse 15. I'm using the Net Bible to describe it because I like it's a word-for-word translation also, and I like how it's put. But I did not behave in this way due to my fear of God. Wow. Now, that's a guy I would like to have lead me. That's who I want to lead me. You see, the word for fear here is the Hebrew word yara, which means a reverent, not a terrifying, a reverent fear of God. Nehemiah's personality wouldn't let him take advantage of the people. Why? Very simply, he knew that that would compromise his relationship with God. Folks, when you are in a position, if you get promoted, you start leading people, fear God sacrifice privileges on an altar to God. Just because you get promoted doesn't mean you have to take them, sacrifice it to God. It's a great sacrifice, a way of honoring him. You'll earn the respect of people you work with. But also, it deepens your relationship with God when you act in fear of God. Remember who your boss is, your real boss. Who is your leader? Who is the person you're really working for? And I'll tell you, here at Fort, it is not Tom Robertson. It is not Craig Raths. We work for God. That was the first thing Truman Robertson basically told me when I came on staff. Tom is not your boss. Ron is not your boss. God is the one you work for. You get that type of a reverent fear in you? Changes the way you see things. Changes the way you work and stuff like that. Um, As you set forth to accomplish your goals in life, remember, you don't have to take all the entitlements of a promotion sacrifice them to God. God honors this. It deepens your relationship with God. The fourth thing, Nehemiah teaches us about this, about dealing with promotion. Utilize your people skills in attaining your goal. Utilize your people skills in attaining your goals. Unfortunately, some people don't have people skills. There are some. We have some people on staff. Full-time staff. They have zero people skills. We've, we've run tests on this even. And one person in particular, I won't say who it is, took the test three times because all three times it came out that he had no people skills. And he thought he was full of them. He thought it was his strongest trait, that he had all sorts of people skills. And he didn't have people skills. The rest of us all knew it. And the thing is, you utilize people, and the people's skills in attaining your goal. Be compassionate towards other people. If you see somebody struggling with a task or an assignment, be sensitive to their needs. You people who are leaders here this summer, that's how you're supposed to do it. This is how Nehemiah did it. This is how God is telling us to do it. Be sensitive to people who are struggling with stuff. I remember back when I was teaching school, I had a biology teacher who worked in my department. He was a really nice guy. But... In this unit that we were doing, we had changed curriculum. We were changing curriculums all the time in our school. Um, we were one of the top model schools in the United States, so we changed things frequently. Um, we were testing things out and stuff. But there was a time that he had to teach, in a biology one level course, he had to teach gel electrophoresis. And those of, probably most of you know what that is today. Uh, gene separation, gene in manipulation and stuff, and, and testing like a DNA fingerprint and stuff like this. We had to teach this. And so we put this into the curriculum. The problem is this teacher had never even seen this done. And now he is supposed to teach his students how to do it. We had a whole pile of units to do this. We had enough that every, student could, uh, every two students could work together as a pair and do a DNA fingerprint. We had all the equipment. It was a rich school district. We had more money we knew what to do with. And so we had all these things. But he didn't know how to do it. So he told me... Um, he told me a, a few days before this, he says, you know, I've tried to read on this. I've watched videos. I still can't understand how to do it. I don't understand why it works. And Michael, I'm, I'm really nervous about this. And I said, okay, this is what we'll do. Um, after school, you come down to my lab I taught the advanced biological, so I had a lot of these things. And let me walk you through this. Instead of just doing this, let me, I'm the department head, so let me walk you through it. So I did. I walked him through the thing. We went through all sorts of things. We did the whole thing together. And I let him see how it works and stuff like this. Afterwards, I said, now, how do you feel about it? He says, okay. I said, how do you really feel about it? Okay, tell me the truth. How do you feel about teaching a bunch of students who have never done this before now and answering their questions on how to do it? He says, scares me to death. I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. You're teaching this, I don't know what day it was, like a Tuesday or whatever. I said, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to change my schedule so I'm going to have that, when you have that class, I'm going to have, we had an in-house substitute. I'm going to have the substitute come down, take my class. I'm going to come into the classroom. I'm going to be in your classroom as you teach this. Now, the thing is, I'm not going to teach it. You're going to teach it, but I will be right there to help you. I don't want to come in and in front of your students Um, you have to say, now, I don't know what I'm doing, so Mr. Lane's coming in here to do this. I don't want you to do that. I want you to stand there as the authoritative person, as the expert, and you tell them how to do it. And if you have a question, you can refer to me about, um, in some ways, without asking me, you can ask the question but make it sound like you know what you're doing in front of your students, because I don't want you to lose face in front of your students. And so we did this. I came down to his room. We did this thing. He went through it. He absolutely loved it. And questions came up. They asked him some things. And there was a couple of times he wasn't quite sure. And so he phrased a thing to me. And he says, well, um," I remember at one point he says, well, uh, Michael here, he worked in scientific research and did this all the time as a research scientist. And he could probably answer that better than I'm qualified to answer it. And so that way he didn't lose face on this. And that's what I wanted. I told him, I don't want you to lose face in front of your students. And it was a great thing. And he told me afterwards, um, Actually, he wrote me a cute little note after saying about how much he appreciated me helping him through this very difficult task. That's the way we should be doing things. You know what else he told me? When I left that school, he told me this. He says, I know that you're a born-again Christian because you talk about it so often. But he says, I'll tell you, I really see Jesus Christ in the way that you act with your kids, and the way that you act with the staff, and how you've acted with me. And he says, I will never forget this. You see, there's nothing special about me. It's the way we're all supposed to be doing this. Don't think I'm telling you this story to try and pump myself up. I'm not. I'm trying to give you an example of a real-life situation that you can use also. This is how we're supposed to do things. That's the fourth thing, and it's so important for us to understand this. And, And the thing is, we see this also in in Nehemiah again, in chapter 5, 17, and 18. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox, six choice sheep, birds, every 10 days, all kinds of wine abundance. Yet for this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on the people. Nehemiah is doing, he's, he's doing a great example. He is coming down to the level of the people and helping in every way he could. Folks, that's how you lead. It is so much easier just to sit back and say, well, I'm the governor, I'm going to do it this way, and you guys just figure it out yourself. No, that's not leading. You not have to be a dictator. You work alongside. Nehemiah was a people-oriented and sensitive leader. He sensed, he knew what the people's problems were, and he got in there and he helped in every way he possibly could. Not even taking a salary, paying for things out of his own pocket. This is true leadership. And when you have a group helping you in some form of task or ministry, and you leaders who are here, we still have two weeks to go, helping you in a task or in a ministry, it is so important for you to be sensitive to their needs. Do you know the needs of your people? You leaders, do you know what they what struggles they're going through? Do you know the hardships that they're going through? Do you know what's going on in their life outside of this place? Are you sensitive to it? I'm not saying you have to have the answers for everything. You don't have PhDs in that. What you have to have is a willing heart to have a sensitive heart to it. Is there something I can do to help? Maybe I should do this today. Maybe you're a little tired out. It's the end of the summer. Well, tell you what. Why don't you take an hour off? I'll do this for you. How about telling your staff, instead of working this last hour or something like that, or or some time here, I know it's getting tired. We're all getting tired. Tell you what, I want you to go out and, and take some time off. Why don't you do this? Go take some time, go read your Bible. How about that one? That's leadership. That's what we're supposed to be like. And the fifth thing do everything you do for the Lord. That's who you're really working for. Don't miss that. Remember what Nehemiah said? Remember in verse 19, remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. That was his prayer. God, I'm not doing it for the people, I'm doing it for you. That's what he's saying. As leaders, you should be saying the same thing God, I'm not doing this for the pay here. I know you're not doing it for the pay here because we don't pay you much. I'm not doing it for the pay, I'm not doing it for the prestige. I'm doing it for you, oh God. Remember what I'm doing for you, please. That's how we're supposed to do it. Whether you're working here at Fort, whether you're at school, whether you're at a job with your family, anything else, whatever it is, always, folks, please, please remember this. Always remember you do it for God. You always do it for God. He's your true boss. That's who you do it for. I've showed you this verse before. I've talked about it. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. People often ask me. I got asked I don't know how many times already this summer. Michael, what's your favorite verse? This is one of my absolute favorite verses. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Colossians 3.17 basically says the same thing. It's like a repeated phrase. And in the Greek, if it's repeated, that means it's super important. This is so important for us to know. We work for the Lord, not for men. I remember one time a principal actually asking me, um, you know, you are one of the most dedicated teachers I've ever come across. You really do, uh, do such a good job for our school and, and for me as your superintendent. I'm, I'm just really appreciative. And I remember saying, well, actually, I don't really do this for you or the student body. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I do this for God. Huh? You really want to get people to question you? <laughs> huh? Do it for God. That's who I work for. That's what you want to do. Because it's so easy to lose our focus. To lose the focus of the goal and the dream that God has put in you. And you start looking for advancement. It's a great temptation and it happens. And we have to be very wary of this as we do our goals. Anytime you've got a goal set, you're working on a vision or whatever it is that you are feeling like you're going to be doing, many times advancement starts to come up. Don't go seeking it. If God wants you to have it, it's going to come. And when it does come, be wary of it. Look at the five things that the book of Nehemiah tells you about being a good leader. It's phenomenal. This is great stuff. Truman needed a lot of people to get started here at Fort. He needed a lot of people to get this goal running. Some ministries came and went. Other ministries came and are still going strong to this day. The thing is, folks, you, summer staff, are all needed. You serve a very important role. The full time staff probably do not say it to you enough. We could not do this job without you here. You are so important. That's why we try to invest so much in you that we pray for you people. We don't say it enough. We really don't. We should. But we do appreciate you greatly. We do care about you. I can speak only for myself. I do pray for the summer staff. This morning when I woke up, one of the first prayers I had in talking to God was for you all. Years ago, when I first came on staff, they didn't have Bible studies like this. A lot of times it was just, uh, they would have one of the summer staff, actually they would hand them a book and give them a book and they would say, okay, go through this book study. No guidance, no, no preparation or anything. It was a disaster. It was really bad. And then they decided, well, that wasn't a good idea. For one thing, it's hard for you guys to take, to take a student here and put them in a leadership role. That wasn't the best thing. So they said we should have full-time staff to it. So what they did, uh, this is many years ago, they had full-time staff take turns doing these things on Sunday nights. I'll tell you what really happened. It's sad, but as we're all busy, you can probably associate, I'm not trying to blame anybody, but this is how it went, sometimes somebody would come and they'd maybe spent 15 minutes on a Bible lesson. Other times, I remember coming in here, and or coming into the, um, these were usually in the bear's den when they started, and going into the bear's den, and the person who was supposed to do it on full-time staff totally forgot all about it. Remember to the last minute, come running down there sometimes, and just, well, this is what I read in my Bible today, and just said that, and it was basically over. Well, I can't do it that way. And the board actually asked me to take over these things years ago. I know you have no idea. You probably just think maybe I just put something like this together in a few minutes. You have no idea how many hours I take out of my day and out of my week throughout this entire spring and the summer to do this for you. Why? Because I care about you. We all do. There's nothing special about me. We all care very much about you. We pray for you. We're an ear waiting to listen if you need help. Hopefully we're good leaders for you we're good examples for you. All I can say is to myself, I'm sorry if I failed you at times. I'm human, I probably have at some point. Don't laugh too hard. <laughs> but that's the way we should be. I love you guys and I want to help you as much as I can. This is how I feel God has got me to do it. He has assigned me to do this type of thing, I believe. And so I take this very seriously. Um, Even to the point where people say, why do you go in and make all these PowerPoints and stuff? How much more time you could save if you didn't do that? It's because I think in some cases people are visual learners and you need this kind of thing and it helps you to learn. So I'll take the extra time and do it. If it costs me some sleep, if it costs me something like that, that's okay. Like Nehemiah said, oh God, remember what I did for you. And I hope you guys learn from these things, and I hope God speaks to you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this time we have here tonight, and we thank you for my wife's wonderful treats that she made, and ask that you bless those high carbohydrates to the nourishment of our bodies. But, Lord, we also thank you for your word and the book of Nehemiah. What a phenomenal book. And I pray that, Lord, I know many of these people are going to be advanced in in their life many times. And, Lord, I pray that your spirit will remind them when they look for guidance to go to the book of Nehemiah. You gave it to us. It is the greatest book in print on how to be a leader. And these five factors that we learned tonight from Nehemiah just on this, I pray that you just help us to find these things. But, Lord, not to just hear it, but to implement it into our life. Forgive us, Lord, when you teach us things and we don't assimilate it. We let it just come in and go right out of our heads without even thinking about it. Lord, please help us to assimilate the information. May it become a part of us. And maybe we, we be great examples of Jesus Christ to everyone we come in contact with. In Jesus' name, amen.